This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for April 5th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Click the red sponsor this podcast uh, box and you get set up for a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside, as always, Case Low. In case we were talking about this, and then I just pulled the Jackson seat and hit record. So let's get into it. WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, WrestleMania weekend, Mike. How was your WrestleMania weekend? How are you holding up? I was talking with folks about this. This was the lightest wrestlemania weekend i've had from stuff i've covered to my own interest level like for for once i like did not have the compulsion to go to dallas fort worth did not need to go visit ancestral grounds and we stayed at home watched two shows and that was it and i don't feel like i missed out really on anything other than cherry picking good matches just feels like that we're in like this this felt like the build-up year, I would say, like like coming out of everything like this. This was like the first real like traveling one, so maybe LA feels a little bit more like our Mania weekend. But I guess like this is a roundabout way of saying like it, it happened and it didn't feel like a WrestleMania weekend for me. What did you watch? I think we both watched Ring of Honor. What else did you check out? I watched Ring of Honor and then I watched For the Culture, and that was it. And how was For the Culture? Because I haven't heard any buzz about that. For the culture is always a more complete in-ring show out of the collective. It's usually one of the more complete ones. This one didn't have like the the blow away matches that we had even in Indianapolis. Like we don't have like ACH versus Lee Moriarty or Air Fox versus uh, Two Cold Scorpio. There wasn't a lot of that there, but I mean. Did get to actually see Top Dollar Wrestler Case, and I'm not going to try to gaslight you into thinking that he's a good wrestler. I, I'll say that you take someone who's reasonably athletic and you go like, hey, do these three things, and oh, you're able to do a second rope moonsault and being like six foot eight. Okay, I'm going to have a fine time most of the times there. So Top Dollar scratched a certain itch for me. So but the rest of for the culture show just kind of i feel like it happened like it feels like that 
each time they have the shows that there's a little bit less fanfare with them it seems well yeah i mean it's they're constantly buried in bad time slots and i didn't think the lineup on paper looked great for this one even if the prior shows had delivered to some degree and say what you will about top dollar unless this man shows up in kobe all of a sudden i i don't think i'm going to be checking out the top dollar I actually think we're going to be seeing less and less of him as time goes on. I don't know if he's cut out for this grind, but if you had fun, more power to you, my friend. Yeah, I just feel like that it kind of was like, in a lot of ways, like an audition match for the big time NEW circus for him, circuit for him, basically. Like, he's not going to embarrass himself when you book him to do a signing and a four-minute or Battle Royal match. I don't know if that's true. I think everywhere he goes, he's going to embarrass himself in some way, shape, or form. In rank. In rank. <laughs> uh, Ring of Honor was great. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah. No, Ring of Honor was excellent. I mean... Yeah, really... Here, you know, can I give a Ring of Honor hot take that I'm not... Like, I'm not happy to deliver this take, but I feel like I'm the only one that has had this thought, and I'm surprised. I thought more people would be on my side here. Are you ready for this hot take? Okay. Historically, Samoa Joe, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. 2005 Samoa Joe was unmatched. One of the single greatest years in the history of pro wrestling. I was an active and vocal Ring of Honor fan when Joe returned in 2015. I saw him wrestle Michael Elgin in a very fun singles match in Chicago Ridge, Illinois that year. And then I saw a continuous decline in Joe's performance pretty soon after that into his NXT run. And outside of the Brock Lesnar, I never heard of him lighting the world on fire in his main event run, or I'm sorry, in his main roster run. We are now seven years after the initial Samoa Joe return. I don't trust his body to hold up. And I also thought he looked astonishingly old on the ring of honor show. Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty common refrain. Maybe people aren't saying that in open company, but... I, I, I have not seen a lot of that, and it bums me out, because I love Joe. I think it's a great signing. I, I, If I were Tony Khan, I would probably look to keep him exclusive on Ring of Honor. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he's an upper echelon AEW wrestler, and this isn't the AEW podcast that you do, but I, I will voice my thoughts here quickly. Uh, it, it makes me really worried about his short-term and long-term future i don't think he's cut out for that sort of grind anymore obviously they've done an amazing job protecting guys like sting and billy gunn but i i feel like people are expecting something else from samoa joe and outside of what could be a really fun match with cm punk i don't think they're going to get it yeah like uh i should say this first and foremost there is recorded audio where i say that he looks he looks sick and i'm awesome and i like how smojo looks like now but you're right like i i i'm my, my general mindset with a lot of wrestlers when they return from an absence is they need to gain a whole lot of weight so i mean he did that but no you, you you're right about that like i i saw a photo i guess of like uh taken from one of the aw drivers of joe in the back seat and yeah, time is uh, caught up with Samoa Joe, and I think the Miles caught up with him. In a way, he's held up remarkably well. And, but I, I mean, because he's not a young guy. He's no, he's, a, he's, this he's been a, a relevant professional wrestler for 20 years. He debuted in Ring of Honor in October of 2002. He has been relevant in this industry for 20 years, which is, I mean, think that's, you know, Hogan from 84 to 2004. Like, Joe was held up better than that. 
but I think he looks really old right now. Yeah, I, I think it's also like how age catch, catches up with him. So Joe is 43 years old. He just turned, what, 43. And different miles on different people. I mean, everyone like sees the gif of the match where Samoa Joe and TNA does the drop kick to poured concrete and you know that might not caught up with him and whenever that match was 2007 i think but 15 years later that stuff does uh i just i i I, with their track record like it's a different kind of thing like you brought up sting and and billy gunn but they've also used them in a much more protected kind of lane and there's not good you're right there's not gonna be an opportunity to keep Joe in that kind of lane because the, there's going to be this idea of, oh, want to chase uh, matches from 15 years ago or matches that never happened before. So there's going to be an expectation. We and haven't I really, that's fair to him at this point. We haven't really talked because, you know, we, we recorded the J episode uh, a week before that aired. And thank you, by the way, for the very positive feedback on the J episode. Glad people enjoyed that. But then because there wasn't really anything that was of super importance to us on WrestleMania weekend. We haven't talked in a while. Did I tell you that I nearly had a panic attack watching the Black Label Pro Norm show? I mean, panic attack, Black Label Pro show. I imagine that your panic attack is different from the one that one should have for watching Black Label Pro. No, it was very uh, inside baseball. But as I was watching the Billy Starks, Shaza McKenzie match, which... If you have not seen, boy, oh boy, I cannot recommend it enough. I started going into like a self-hatred spiral where I was watching Billy Starks and some might say she's a kid, leave her alone. But to that, I say she's a kid, but people have people that I respect and that opinions I value on pro wrestling have said that she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And when you say something like that, you open yourself up to criticism. And I was watching Billy Starks thinking about how there are people that I like, people that I respect, that have said she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I was on my couch and I started sweating, thinking about the idea of people listening to this podcast, like the like Anoki's Chin or like Fujita Shin Twitter accounts, real like shit posting deep Puro nerds that must listen to this podcast. And when I talk about SB Kento, they must think what I think when I watch Billy Starks wrestle and think about how people say she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I was mortified for a minute thinking about how people could relate those two takes to one another. Well, I mean, I'm not going to get into the Billy Starks take and the person of which you said, said take, uh, but, but, but we're right first and foremost. And I don't know. Yoshi's thorax can you know <laughs> just, just read the uh, net pro wrestling awards of the uh, of the Japanese version of those kind of fans and just smile thinking that hard hit scored so well when in reality hard hit hasn't done anything ever so yeah whatever I, did everybody uh... you confidence with that uh, I, I look, I'm very confident in my opinions, but I did have a real moment of self-hatred of like, oh, my God, people must think we're the dumbest people on earth. And, but luckily, you know, there's definitely, I think, since Champion Gate, but an uptick in Dragon Gate interest and, and Meltzer from the little bit that he's seen has put over this current group of young guys and people with a clue, ourselves included, have been very right about, you know, these young Dragon Gate wrestlers. 
I don't see a lot of hope on the U.S. indie scene, especially at that department. But watching that BLP pro or that that BLP show, which I would not recommend watching a second of it unless you're going to kick back and watch Starks versus McKenzie because that match was hilarious on a number of levels. It was real, real self-hatred time. But that's WrestleMania weekend for you. And I was wondering from you, Mike, you said this this was the least plugged in you've ever been. Would you say that 2018 New Orleans was that the most plugged in you ever were to a WrestleMania weekend? I would say, I mean, other than 2012, like coming into my city, you know, Miami, into your that territory. Year. Yeah, I mean, the Spears territory moves along. We're an outlaw promotion, so like you know, we can't really. You know, really put up the tent, or else you, I, I, I mean, down there, I don't need the grams out there. You know, trying to burn down my tent. So no, not at all. No, no, don't want uh, Mike Graham or any of the grams to come near me with a torch. But uh, 2018, 2019, 2017, I would say that just with like how everything kind of bloomed, and there was the market inefficiencies for North American talent, and the relative ease of which the fly in your European talent, your Japanese talent, your Mexican talent, your talent from elsewhere. I, I, I just like that this was like a 2017 through 2019 was a special era created by the circumstances that's just not going to be duplicated again. I think I feel like most people would have be like, yeah, I felt more dialed in uh, 2018 because I feel like everyone was more dialed in. then. Yeah, I started thinking about the parallels of that WrestleMania weekend and Dragon Gate at that time, and just how much things have changed, where if you would have told me four years ago, you come to me April 5th, April 6th, 2018, and you say, okay, Case, four years from now, April 6th in Yokohama, there's going to be a Dragon Gate homecoming show. It's going to be the homecoming of the son of Strong Machine and Kai. And I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to go, oh, that's, that's weird. Like, did, like, did Shingo get an office position and like, did, like is Shima just fully booking the company now? And you're going to go, no, actually Shima's gone. Shima went to China uh, and Shingo just headlined the Tokyo Dome. And I'm going to go, wait, what the fuck happened? Is the son of Strong Machine the champion of Drangate? And you're going to go, no, Kai is actually the champion of Drangate and it's going okay. It's not great, but it's not horrible. And also, by the way, this promotion now has Ultimo Dragon at it. I was just the, the mind fuck of looking at that poster of the homecoming show of Strong Machine J and Kai bringing Dragon Gate action to their hometown has stuck with me for about a week now. Like, God, like things changed so fast in 2018. Things got so weird so quickly. And as we approach the anniversary of the OWE split, I, I felt like reflecting on the fact that basically as we're recording this, Kai and Strong Machine J are having a joint homecoming show. It, it's something, though, that, yeah, uh, at least well, like if we if we stretch out Dragon System history, I don't know, started back in 93, like just because we got to talk about Impro and ULL, right? And you look at like the like the time periods of like tremendous like shakeups. 2018 like 2004 that was a huge shakeup but like that was kind of it like there were minor blips of course like agon leaving sua leaving all of them leaving but around 2018 like there was just nothing like if you look at like the time stretched out you would have okay tozawa leaves and then nothing for two years then you would have 
the uh the the second split on may 6 2018 and then you would have all these things happening within a uh, within a six month period <laughs> so <laughs> it's just kind of insane because yeah no like if you would show like take a look at like a show poster of 2018 and a show poster of 2022 it just looks like there there would be enough of like the pre-existing roster they're like oh i guess there must have been a big a talent split they're like no this is the roster now it, this is what the passage of time has been there was one mini split they're now uh doing new japan and their own indie stuff i th- that would have been the insane thing to me like saying like where is everyone was there a split well kinda yeah it's it's mind-blowing it's really impressive we're on the streak of homecoming shows some of which we're going to talk about today uh the dragon dia homecoming show there are some good stuff on the the youtube channel that we'll talk about those matches are readily available and free to anybody that is on youtube which is the entire world uh but i i I thought that was worth mentioning just the oddities of that before we get into the topic at hand why we have this podcast Again, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I was actually thinking today, I was like, man, I miss Mike Spears. I haven't talked to this dude in a minute. I look forward to sitting down with him every week, and we didn't sit down last week, and it feels like it's been way longer because it's kind of been a quiet period for Dragon Gate. I miss Mike Spears, and the reason I miss you is that you and your whiteboard do so much good in my life because I had completely forgotten that we had scheduled a taste test for this evening until you tweeted about it earlier today. Mike Spears, have you opened your Coca-Cola Starlight yet? case i haven't opened either of my bottles of coca-cola starlight i got two why of them we, well, why do you why do you have two i got two of them because you know if i i got the the classic just because i don't drink sugar beverages like i feel like that like so i'm gonna have some of this uh the this regular power coke and if i end up liking this and i'm still going to try to see if there's a taste difference there you know if i end up like jamming to this i want to have one here that i'm going to actively want to drink Okay. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. All right, so I, I guess this is the first time I, I actively try not to drink or eat on microphone. All right, I'm gonna try Starlight Classic right now. It, I do love space themed stuff, so I don't know how this tastes like uh, the space, the outer space case, but we're gonna see now. Let's see if this picks up. Oh yeah, that I see the line. Beautiful. There. Oh my goodness, is this OTVG ASMR? Hey, uh, if people really, people really don't need me to do their ASMR, but I uh, <laughs> slanted DMs. Is All that right. behind a is that behind a paywall? Is that your OnlyFans account? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey y'all, I hope y'all are getting comfy in bed. Yeah, no, <laughs> the, the, that's that. All right, let, let, let's try this case. interesting i will i will take a sip of mine as well i bought a, i bought one for this occasion and i would okay. also concur i would concur that interesting was my big takeaway from it as well all right second sip it has faint strawberry flavor to it in yeah. my opinion yeah i can see that i i not not that i want to just blow past any intrigue there but to me, it's just a combination of all of the other Coke flavors. I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for, but I don't know that for sure. You know what? I did taste a little bit of Coke lime. I did taste yeah, some oh citrus. My, yes, it, yes. It, the lime is it. This is why we do this podcast, because there's okay. a hint of lime in there that to me, like I can, I can parcel out a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of lime. 
and yeah. by that point it's like okay well then they're just doing everything it's just a chikara gimmick at this point it, it, it's something that now you have the freestyle machine so you can do all the flavors together but back in my day you would have the six ones there and you hit every button in the coke machine and you make a suicide that's what I, that's what we would call this this is a suicide soda this is this is a suicide soda this is this is exactly what it is now again you're not much of a soda drinker but is this something that you could see on a warm summer day cracking open a can of this you know would I choose this over what I believe uh, categorically and I've done my own taste studies? I've tasted these drinks and decided this myself, so it's empirical data. Would I replace a nice, crisp, chemical-tasting Diet Pepsi with that? No. No. However, <laughs> I have coked, I have the zero-sugar one. Let's see this one. I would do that for, okay? I, I had to dig through the the stock at the store today to find one that specifically wasn't zero sugar that sounded awful to me but i would love to hear your instant reaction on the on the coca-cola freestyle zero or not the freestyle but the starlight zero sugar all right let's see if i can go two for two with uh cracking the bottle here we go nice well done maybe i should become a foley artist <laughs> i'm surprised you're not you have the personality of one <laughs> <laughs> that, yes that yes that takes that takes the good and the bad of mike spears that's that's the foley artist in you that that's a completely honest uh depiction yeah 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 if you know you know i have a foley artist uh personality all right coke zero No lime in this, a lot more vanilla and more strawberry. Okay, interesting. All right, well, maybe I'll go check that one out. But the idea of drinking a zero sugar soda just sounds very counterproductive to me. I mean, that's what people say. I just like the first soda I drank was Diet Pepsi. Like, that's how Pepsi pilled the Spears household was. So. <laughs> uh yeah I, I i don't i don't do the diet sodas yet a regular soda for me have you had we'll, we'll move on in just a second but have you i forget if i've asked you this i know we talked about mountain dew gingerbread uh yeah disgusting around the christmas Heinous. season really yes. good drink have you had terrible the, drink have you had the mountain dew spark is this like their new version of amp no that's ever it has a very much an energy drink name to it but okay. it is it is the raspberry lemonade flavor of mountain dew and okay yes i have tried this yes I what, have. what are your thoughts here i felt like it tastes more like lemonade than raspberry which is fine but like yeah, i want a little a bit more of the rasp yeah i want <laughs> okay. a little bit more of the right. rasp out there i love me a blue raspberry flavor pepsi blue before your time great soda <laughs> i opened up a mountain dew spark I, and this I, is first still... off i want to apologize for that larry king impression i accidentally did right there <laughs> <laughs> um, I opened up a Mountain Dew Spark in the dead of winter. We're talking mid-February. Snow is on the ground. It's miserable in Chicago. I open this bad boy up. I take one sip. And all of a sudden, the summer of 2022 flashed before my eyes. I am on Montrose Beach in Chicago, Illinois. I have a girlfriend who has seen the Hamada poster a time or two, if you know what I mean. And I am pounding Mountain Dew Sparks on the beach. And... Every moment of my life since mid-February when this bad boy hit shelves has been trying to work my way into that situation. And as we get closer and closer to the summer months, 
and I go home alone every night, I get more and more concerned that my dream summer of a Mountain Dew and a girlfriend on the beach is just not going to happen. Well, I mean, the big question I have to ask there, because I've had a similar uh feeling dream of, you've had a similar dream <laughs> well not mountain dew but like of like oh this is the beverage i could see myself with a, a future paramour you know looking uh, <laughs> on a scenic hike you know right as the sun setting going to the crest of a mountain you know and then having this drink but for me it was sierra miss cranberry blast <laughs> the ultimate side of a romantic evening i love me a cranberry soda I love me. Yeah, I don't I don't blame you. Well, uh, Mike, I, of course, want nothing more than for you to accomplish that. I hope you root me on in my journey as well. And I believe that caps off Soda Talk. Yep, that was the Flavor Lab brought to you by Open the Voice Gate. <laughs> Our DMs are open for sponsorships or for beverages you would like us to sip on. Air. Yeah, literally just tweet at us at Open Voice Gate if you want us to drink something. I don't drink alcohol, but anything else is fair fucking game. I am down for more of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sponsorship opportunities are available. It could be the uh, – I'm having a can of liquid death right now, now that I switched away from the, the – this is how you can tell I was, like, okay with this, but I did not need to drink anymore. I'm back to my usual water immediately after. Like, if liquid death wants to hit us up, uh, one of the best sparkling waters I've ever had, liquid death. You, you, you know what I would do? If I was a big fan of the Dragon system, and specifically English-speaking Dragon Gate content, like I'm sure many, not all, but many of the listeners of this show are, I would go to redcircle.com backslash open voice gate. I'd click on that donation tab, and I'd donate a few dollars to the Mike and Case Soda Fund. And then at that point, it's like the it's like the Between the Sheets Patreon, where you pay enough money, you get to be on the show and, and choose what week they cover. Soda Talk, baby. You let us know what you want us to drink, all by way of the Red Circle donation box. There we go. There we go. However, if it's that, if it's that like Frank's Red Hot soda, I'll call you an asshole and then drink it. <laughs> I didn't know that existed. I'm kind of intrigued by oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So should we get into Dragon Gate stuff? Fine. All right. So as Case mentioned, this episode of the program, we are going to be dipping into the digests and director's cuts of the recent dragon gate 2022 shows they've had a lot of stuff going on there the youtube page has continued into april so you know that's a good sign and then we're going to close out the show closing out our retrospective on kness as we talk about the biggest match of his career and perhaps the biggest match of the particular era of the dragon system we're talking about darkness dragon versus Dragon Kid, a this match from Absolutamente 2002. But before we get to that case, uh, which one of these Digest matches you want to talk about? We got five of them. Uh, three of them are on YouTube. Two of them are on the Dragon Gate Network. And strong, a strong batch that you threw at us that they put up online for us this week. Let's go chronological. Let's start with that Open the Twin Gate match from the Dragon Dia Homecoming show. That one is on the Dragon Gate Network. Right, yeah. So this is from Shizuoka, and it is from March 22nd. It is the uh, Open Twin Gate title match, D Courage, defending against their opponents from one of their opponents from Champion Gate, SBK, and Hyo. Uh, this was an interesting thing because well, you could tell that they're kind of like, I'm just going to talk about the production for a second before we get into the match. Okay, so that's okay with you. Please. You could tell that they were kind of feeling out how they're doing this in a lot of ways, but this felt like a very 
compartmentalized like episode that it started off with decourage and they were backstage and they called over gm saito and dragon daya is just pumped with the idea of him defending his title in his hometown and he's like all right let's do it you will face sb kento and hyo and we started and we the file jumped ahead to the show on the 22nd the opening mic with uh with Z Bratz and uh, D Courage and a huge pop for uh, D Courage when they came out there and it led into the match itself. So this is the Open Joint Gate title match. It is D Courage making their second successful defense when we got a Darkness Buster into a 450 onto Hio. And I should note because we kind of talked about this with Jay a little bit. This, I, I believe, is the first time they have ever run this town. Uh, Dragon Dia's hometown, really small. At least the area that he's specifically from is a pretty small place. And we've been dealing with these COVID crowds for two years, and they've taken on various shapes and forms. And we've kind of seen energy ebb and flow throughout the two years within just the general Japanese wrestling uh, occupation, if you will. This crowd at the Daya Homecoming show is one of the more unique COVID crowds that I think we've had, where it's not a giant house, you know, it's not exactly Madison Square Garden, but if you look around, it seems like every single person there has some sort of pink merchandise, whether it's a Dragon Daya towel or a Dragon Daya t-shirt or a fan or something. This is a crowd that is there to see him and to see this match. And I almost wish we got something on the undercard just to compare and contrast the warmness of the crowd in the main event to maybe anything else that would have gone on before it. But all I know is that as we were watching this, what I thought was a very, very good, just shy of being great twin gate match, they are locked in the entire time. And Dragon Daya, even in this small setting, kind of comes across like a small room superstar, which is great to see. It's nice to see him without the mask exuding star power the way that he did yeah and it's something that i when watching this i went back to our talk with jay about for a lot of the people there and i saw a number a while back and i can't seem to pull it up now like it might be 200 300 people there 346 is what's listed oh hey 346 good for them yeah right uh it I go back to Jay talking about how many people there are they making new fans that have never seen pro wrestling before. So they identify now Dragon Gate with their hometown guy, Dragon Daya, who it was like 95% of the crowd was for him. There was one person who had a Hyo sign and an RED towel in the front row. Okay, did you catch that? I did not, but I respect that person greatly. Hey, hey. But, but, but I mean, like going back to that thing, it's like this is something that for like this very small town, like. In the scheme of things, when you think about like geography within Japan and Nagano, which is like the overall area, Shizuzuka is tiny. It's like in like like the scheme of things, it's like fifty thousand people. But it's it when you consider like where the population is really centralized in Japan, it's not that. So it, it, it's something where it's he's like the conquering, like hometown babyface. It was very kind of territorial there. It's something that he fed off of that. I felt like that Daya, like he, you could tell how much this meant for him to main event this match and to have a title match in his hometown, and it, it just kind of created a unique atmosphere that I think bumped up the match a little bit. I thought this was a pretty solid Twin Gate match, but I mean, it with as we've seen with some of this stuff here, some people. 
you know, I mean, this might be something where like Daya really wanted to go for it here. And there was some good brawling, but it wasn't like anything I would say like notebook worthy, in my opinion. So I'm a little bit higher on it than you. Three and three quarters from me. Couldn't justify a four, but certainly a match that I think is worth watching. If you're into the Zebrats, if you're into the D-Courage, if you're into this current scene, I think this is one of those matches that you need to sit down and watch. Mainly because, you know, we've talked about Heo a lot on this podcast, the perennial Heo fan base that exists on Open the Voice Gate, and how we're so impressed with how for so long he was the guy in Leopard Tights and Converse who was largely irrelevant to the promotion, but once he got his chance to step up, you know, he crushed it and he feels like he is worthy of being in the ring with these main eventers when he's there, even if he's not on their level. And we've talked about Yuki Yoshioka and how talented he is and his ceiling, how high it could be. But those guys were background players in this match. What's what's interesting to watch here is SB Kento and Dragon Daya, the chemistry they have in the ring and the red hot kind of meshing well together star power that they both put forward where it worked in front of 345 fans here. I think it would work in front of 1800 fans in Cork and to see these guys have a singles match. And I think as we get further along, whether it's Aichi for dead or alive, whether it's Kobe for Kobe world, we're going to see SB Kento and dragon Daya in more and more of these positions where whether it's a singles match or a multi-man match where the, the other guys in the match sort of clear out and isolate these two to go one-on-one they have chemistry. They present themselves in a way. It's main event star power now. It's main event star power for the future. Their interactions were incredibly intriguing to me. And I thought SB Kento reveled in specifically having this role of, hey, this is Dragon Daya's hometown. You're going to pair off with Dragon Daya, make his life hell. And the fact that, you know, a 22 year old is able to possess that sort of chemistry and hit those beats the way he does is remarkable. And this is for as good as Dio was here in front of his hometown. This was the SB Kento show. This is one of those matches that, you know, five or six years from now, when we're already going back and detailing how hopefully successful his career is, this is one that I'm going to point back to and go, you know, he was, he was a kid here. He's three years into his career and look at the way he's commanding this crowd that was was built in. You know, he didn't have to do a lot to get this crowd to hate him, but he took it to the extra level and made the most of this opportunity. And that's something that we see with him so so often is he's put in positions to succeed and then he hits a home run when he just needed a single. And to me, his individual effort in this match was very representative of that, where it, he wasn't going to fail in a setting like this. There was almost a built-in fail-safe there with the Dia crowd. But that doesn't that doesn't matter for SB Kento. He still went out there and crushed it. He's still so smart, and his wrestling IQ was just top notch. So I, I loved him here. A very very good effort from SB Kento. You could say what else is new, but I thought he upped his game even from his usual standard here. Yeah, and, and I guess one of the reasons why I wasn't as much onto this match was I homed in on Hio just doing very exaggerated selling for a lot of, a lot of the downing stretch and i was like all right yo it, it was it was like, a show house show performance and a televised sb kento and dragon dia performance right yeah yeah because no i mean like that's the thing that like this is a match that i mean they're already paying off this match and they're gonna pay off this match for the next 10 years right like this is something that they like to build and we see this play across like a decade and the fact that like right afterwards they immediately set up the bit the first signed match for Dead or Alive between the two of them for the Brave Gate. I mean, they know what they have here, and if anything, like this is 
this is doing this and SB Kanto is doing this and uh, Daya's hometown. How's it going to be like in literally 30 days for the, when they're in his hometown for that match? I think it's a very it's a very kind of intriguing facet of this match is that it seems like that uh, the, there's a special power SB Kanto has whenever they're in Nagoya and he challenged the guy in his hometown. Now he has to defend he has to win the belt on his own. I think that's going to be really kind of cool. That's going to be awesome. All right. So after that, we're going to get into digests for a spell. The first one was from a March 27th. This is a singles match. Uh, SB Kento versus Ishin Ihashi. And as one would expect, uh, SB Kento won with the spine buster into the SB shooter. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned King of Gate a little bit ago, Case. And something that I would say, this did not feel like a King of Gate match. This felt very much like established roster member on a Corkin versus a rookie match. I thought that was great. I, thought, I went three and a half stars on this. I really, really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed Ishan in this. Ishan made a big step. Dude, Ishan was awesome here. I, I'm with you on the rating. This is a short match. It's under 10 minutes. It, it's it's really fun. And you hit my point exactly. You know, I just talked about SB Kinto and Dragon Daya on the same level, burgeoning main eventers, going to be stars in the future. This was SB Kento leading the way. This was him against a young boy, and Ishin, for as entertaining as he was, wrestled like one, and SB Kento wrestled like a veteran, and that was just a great thing to see. It's a, it's a very simple match where SB Kento led the way with his offense, looked really good the entire time. Ishin sold. They had a hot finishing stretch. It was exactly what you would want to see. Very good stuff from these guys. Yeah, yeah. It's just something when you see the composure of someone who's three years and younger than the guy that he's leading. Three years experience, but younger than the guy he is going up against and he's leading the match. What was the date on this? I want to make sure people can find this on the YouTube channel. This was uh, March 27th. March tw- yes, March 27th. Yeah, there's a there's a Natural Vibes Zebrats main event because this was the Susumi Yokosuka homecoming show. There's a there's another Natural Vibe Zebrats match that I like more that we'll talk about in just a second. But on that 327 YouTube upload, SB Kento versus Ishinihashi, eight minutes, well worth your time. Yeah, that one that was from that was from Yokosuka. That was Susumu's yes. homecoming show where they were fighting for the honor of Mr. Yokosuka. And if uh, Zebrats won, then Mr. Yokosuka would have to make them all high quality bento boxes for lunch when they would come in the next time Susumu had a homecoming show. Luckily, his son defended his honor. Yeah, do people know that, that Susumu Yokosuka is Susumu Yokosuka because that's where he's from when he lost the Mochizuki contra Mochizuki naming rights match was the loser had to change their last name to their hometown. So Susumu Yokosuka, he was Susumu Mochizuki. He became Susumu Yokosuka and had Mochizuki lost, he would have been Masaki Koto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause of where he was based in. I think it's something that like, it took me a while to know that Yokosuka wasn't his last name that it was based off yeah. of this dude. <laughs> That's I, I, it's other than, I mean, it's, I guess just like, uh, unintentional ignorance but yeah i i just realized it because it's not like the presentation of susumu mochizuki to susumu yokosuka has changed at all it's the same not man one it's just bit. a through it's a through line he has changed nothing in 22 years of pro wrestling so i don't even think like if people are watching the old torimon uploads on the network and they don't 
like have the concept of M2K drilled into their brain. I don't know if they would even realize that he was Susumu Mochizuki or how that name change came to be. So I felt like mentioning that. And I would say that people that came in during the Jimmies, they would have immediately known something was up. So like they had that benefit of the doubt, whereas I did, and I was like, "Who's this Yokosuka guy?" Yokosuka <laughs> Japan. He's yeah, this dude. This dude's a little weird. I don't know. He's a little too stoic for me. <laughs> he likes wearing that T-shirt while he wrestles. What's his oh, deal there? God. Yeah, this guy's great, but he looks like shit. Why is that? <laughs> like, why is he the best wrestler of all time with the worst gear up until like 2014? And he's a seamstress himself. He's yeah, like, <laughs> the, the 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 most prolific mask maker in all of Japan. Not wrestling masks, but face masks. This dude pumps them out on a constant basis. Yeah, I I I think he's he's focused outward, not inwards. I love that his dad looks identical to him. Like his dad is just, and I know it's like, oh, it's his father. That makes sense. But no, they're <laughs> they're the same person. And I just right. he's got. I think he's got two older brothers. And I just imagine that family is just the most soft-spoken, business as usual, like no frills about their life family. Christmas is a quiet occasion. We open our gifts. We say thank you. We move on. I one am fascinated by yeah, exactly one black. Whatever happened to black coffee? Am I right, Mike? But I, I think the Yokosuka family is just <laughs> as bare bones as it gets. Well, I. Uh... I don't remember the the exact parts of the storyline, but I remember the broad beats. There was this part of the original M2K storyline where they brought in all their fathers to try to, or all their parents, because I think it was Ginky's mother. Uh, but uh, they brought all their parents in to like try to get them to like turn like the ways backwards, and they brought in someone in a darkness dragon. <laughs> but, but like, but like uh, Mister Yakoska has been like a figure now within. He's been a member of the dragon system if he likes it or not for the last twenty plus years. <laughs> when we talk about the lineage of the dragon system, we're talking about Susumu Yakoska's father. Hey, uh, something about these natural vibes family members i mean ginky's mom had the restaurant uh pair i he must be really good at making bento if they want mr yakoska's bento boxes you know he must he must make a hell of a lunch yeah ut's mom got involved in a show recently that's a great point natural vibes is really a family affair when you're here you're family with natural vibes <laughs> if they need to do a rebrand i think they should go with the uh, uh the olive garden rebrand case it's, it's a shame that like the worst like it's a shame that that natural vibes isn't an indie wrestling stable because it's so like aggressively 2014 pro wrestling tees to do a natural vibes t-shirt but it's just the olive garden logo like that's not the guy i'd pay 24.99 for plus the pro, pro wrestling tee shipping which is like 12 dollars yeah you'll get it in three months you'll forget you ordered this t-shirt and i'll show up one day if you if you want it for christmas you need to order it by the first of october because for some reason we don't do shipping from like november through january imagine if there was a competent direct-to-consumer uh wrestling brand can i ask you a a question about pro wrestling tees that i think is going to make you uncomfortable on us on the surface but then i'll explain why uh oh yeah no let's do it I will explain why in just a second, but do you think the owners of Pro Wrestling Tees know that Ultimo Dragon is Japanese? I, you, you know, I, I would imagine that there's probably a surprising amount of people that think that Ultimo Dragon's Mexican. 
I ask because I was on the PWT's website a few days ago for as much shit as I was talking. I was recently looking for shirts to buy. And, you know, you can filter the options on the website. There's all wrestlers. There's legends. There's WWE alumni. There's ECW alumni, Impact, ROH, Japan, Lucha Libre, AEW, and Top Independence. And me being the man I am, I click that Japan filter. I want to see what options they've got there. And I know there's an Ultimo Dragon store on this website, but I start scrolling down and I don't see Ultimo Dragon. But if I click over and I go to the Lucha tab, sure. Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon has a store there. Ultimo Dragon sandwiched, by the way, in between TJP and Vampiro, uh, men of, of the same company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say men of questionable standard. <laughs> um, but it just made me think, like, I wonder if sure. you ask the dork that runs Pro Wrestling Tees if he knows that Ultimo was from... I'll just say Japan, let alone Aichi, where he's actually from. Yeah. I don't know. Something to think about. Uh, it's something, though, that I've seen Ultimo the character characterize with uh, with Mexico and Lucha Libre so often, though, that like that would be like, okay. I would go like, yeah, they would have had him there. But yeah, no, it's kind of a wild thing. He's like one of the people like, well, like, of course, we don't see Gran Hamada or Gran Nanawa stuff, but I imagine they would probably get a similar thing there with them that they would be put in loot because people grant Hamada is probably more known as, as a wrestler in Mexico than really he was in Japan other than, you know, the prodigious uh, uh, coaching tree he has. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, by the way, if anybody was wondering the El Hijo del Santo and Ultimo Dragon versus Shocker and El Hijo del Fishman match from Martinez promotions, WrestleMania weekend, that's on Santo's YouTube channel. If you're wondering if you need to make time for that or not, you're good. You don't. You don't need to do that. I, I I feel like the the fact that you had to say it's on some wrestler's YouTube channel probably tells people. Well, it's on Santos. It, Santo has a really good YouTube channel. He uploads a bunch of old Santo yeah. matches, but he also uploaded a 2022 match with Shocker and Helly Hell Del Fishman, and that is you. You're good. You don't need to watch that one. I would really yeah. like to see Santo live in person before he can't do it anymore. I I would book him against other guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three-fourths of that match, though, 25 years ago. That would have been a lot of fun. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, I you know, I, I have, you know, 2016 Greatest Wrestler Ever. The only Santo that I watched was in when he was in the ring with Negro Casas. And I was like, this dude's fine, but I'm really watching this for Casas. I'm only focused on him. 2021 Greatest Wrestler Ever. I dove into Santo, and I was like, you know what? These Lucha people were right. This dude is a damn good pro wrestler. And now as I navigate my pro wrestling viewing in a way where if I'm not watching Dragon Gate or Dynamite, any archival footage, like old footage that I watch, I'm almost exclusively watching Lucha at this point. And I start going like, oh, is Santo like a top 30 guy of all time? Is this an opinion that I have now? Because yes. even even a year ago, that would have stunned me. But, you know, I... I I was very publicly outspoken against Lucha for many years, and there are still parts of it that absolutely suck shit. But boy, the good stuff is hitting with me right now. Case, guess where I had Santo on my list? Uh, I feel like he was a top 20 guy for you. 10th. Yeah, I hey, no no qualms from me. I, I yeah. totally, totally see it. Uh, I, I remember when we were doing that show with Alan, both of you were like, 10th, okay. I'm like, no, really watch some Santo. He, yeah, well, well, no. We, 
that there was a time period that Santo might have been the most complete in-ring wrestler in the world. There is a I actually I meant to DM you this. We'll just do it on the air as because we don't have a ton of Dragon Gate stuff to talk about this week. Have you seen Santo versus Felino from Monterey, October 18th, 1998? Does that match ring a bell to you? Santo and Felino does, not the Monterey part. Okay. YouTube this match, and I recommend everybody listening to this at some point. If you just type it on YouTube, El Hiel del Santo versus Felino, it's the first thing that comes up. This is a Mike Spears match if there ever was one. I was watching this, loving it, and thinking about you the entire time. I would carve out a half hour and give this match a watch when you have the time, because it's it's very, very fun. Well, I'll let you know that I've already finished up on Dark and Elevation for this week, so I'm going to watch that after I'm done editing this. <laughs> Thank God you're done with AEW Dark so you can watch El Hijo del Santo. <laughs> <laughs> the important things. Oh, the the important things here. Yeah, no, it's just something that, that like, Santo is someone that, like, it's just, like, we're lucky now that he's, like, especially the fact that he's posting stuff, like, that's, that's awesome there. But, I mean, for a lot of that, I mean, just given how it is, like, a lot of it has made tape, but more people should watch Santo. Santo. There's a reason why people were like, oh yeah, no, his dad's the most important person in wrestling history in the company, but his son is much better in the ring. Like, like there's, it, it's worth watching and singing. And it's yeah, really I, I, I faded Lucha people for many years for like, I don't know if there's a top 10 Luchador. Now I, I buy it with Santo and I'm not, that's, that's the part of this podcast where again, the, the Anoki's chin and the, uh, oh, oh, uh, yeah, Murakama's kneecap, yeah, yeah, Murakama's kneecap. I know they're gonna, you know, mock me for saying that Santos go, but it took me a while to come around on that. I'm there now, though. I'm officially on the right side of history. I'm an ally to the Lucha Libre community, and I see you, I hear you, and I'm listening for any other Lucha recommendations that you have. You hear this, foot loose and chill. <laughs> Case is willing to do this. <laughs> Support for Open the Voice Gates brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. In case I know that, you know, we're, we're about to hit summer season. We're about to hit uh, the uh, y- your Mountain Dew on the beach <laughs> season case. What are you eating to get yourself in the mindset from HelloFresh for this? Here's the thing about me. I'm notoriously an idiot, but HelloFresh shows up to my doorstep every Wednesday and their meals are so simple. I can follow the instructions just by reading them one time through, whether it's the one pan sweet and sour cashew pork tacos, which I had last week. And let me tell you, five stars, whether it's the one pan chicken sausages pizza dillas, which I don't understand as a concept, but I understand that they were yummy in my tummy or whether it's what I got this past week of the one pan cheesy beef tortilla belts, my big fat Greek chicken salad, or the mushroom ravioli and tomato cream sauce. HelloFresh is the ideal professional wrestler. They look great, they deliver on what they promise, and they leave me wanting more. I can't imagine going into the summer months not trying a HelloFresh meal plan, because I cannot recommend it enough. And with HelloFresh, they have fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying nutritionist meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious office off options. But you also can warm yourself inside and out with limited-time recipes inspired by cozy classics. I mean, it's cold around here, but getting beef tenderloin and cheese fondue right now, that would warm me right up. And the way you do this 
you go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's 16 free meals and three free gifts with HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and promo code VOW16. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right. Hey. Get into it. Get into it. Get into the miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. (laughs) Get into that. All right. Uh, Moving across the digest, we, we, we got two more of them for us this week uh jason lee versus jackie funky kame from april 2nd uh you you were talking about santo and felino being a mike spears classic this one you know just right right here for me you know there there was a lot of jfk in this and jason being pretty great in this as well this was this was a match for the boys this is one for the troops the people that suffered through 2018 that stuck with it through 2019 and that are very specifically into this era of Dragon Gate. They threw us a bone. They uploaded this bad boy. Jay, Case, Mike, you guys have earned it. Here you go. This is one for you. And what I want to ask about this match, because it was so good and it was so swanky and so technical and just everything that you would want from there. But what I'm curious, from your perspective, we talked with Jay about dragon gate the idea of them coming back to america what they would need to do and the six-man tag is the match and what iteration of it is debatable we'll talk about that more when we talk about the eight-man tag uh from the most recent show in the kakuta comeback but let's say an american promoter knows what they're doing and they have a six-man tag book but they've got these guys for a second show much like the first time they came over for wrestlemania weekend gabe had them for three shows do you think if you put let's let's take this match exactly this nine minute Jason Lee versus Jackie Funky Kame match on a game changer WrestleMania weekend show? Bear with me. Do you think people would give a shit? Like, is this a match that is just so deeply into our alley that we're a little blinded by how much we enjoy it? Or is this a, a style of match that assuming you also get a great six man tag on that weekend do you think this is a match that would help the English speaking fan base care about Dragon Gate at all? I think you would have to run that six man match the first night. Yes, before yeah, I agree it. with that. I, I think that this is a match that if I were being Joe GCW, going to my GCW shows and I'd be saying like, oh, I'm seeing these two guys there. I would be interested in the match, but it would be something that the match itself, I think, like would be engrossing enough to draw you in deeper i think this match has an appeal for joe gcw fan okay i don't i don't know if it does i would almost lean into the camp of i don't think it does which makes me really sad because i love this i mean this is literally like my vision of wrestling is this and a great six-man tag that's what i want from it it's not that this match was you know anything monumental it's just the style of wrestling that i very specifically like but i I don't think the same people, I don't even mean this as a dig to the wrestler I'm about to mention. I don't think the same people that watch Alley Cat and like her would be entertained by this match in the slightest, which is a, a human defect. It's wrong of them, but I'm afraid that's the direction of the American Indies, that stuff like this just wouldn't register with them at all. Yeah, like, honestly... I think you would, if you would put this match on like more of a local show, it'd probably get over more than in that scenario. 
you know that, just like yeah, that is very true if this happened on like a te- like okay so take take this weekend if this happened on a texas indie show and not the game changer show i think the texas indie crowd would be much more receptive to this than the the superstar indie game changer crowd yeah yeah i i think that's the sad state of things whereas five years ago that wouldn't be the case you know yeah maybe, maybe i'm wrong i mean if there's people that are like and again, I've, I've said my piece about the promotion. It's not even an anti-game changer thing. I just think it's a realistic way of looking at it. But if you're super pro game changer and also are really into this match, which again is up on YouTube for free, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. I would love to know if you think that like the Nick Gage, Alley Cat, Effie crowd, if they would sit on their hands for this or if they would care, because I just don't. I don't see them caring from what I know about that fan base, but I'm not in there. So maybe I'm wrong, but that was on my mind all week of like, okay, if I, if, you know, if I had to say and bring Dragon over, what would I do? My instinct goes to book a match like this, but I don't, I don't think people would care about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you're also dealing the fact that GCW is booked like an asshole. So <laughs> how could you trust that this match be given, be put in a position for it to succeed when you job, your local favorites against Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I mean, was... let's let well, let's let's say Lauderdale throws us a bone and says, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. With... <laughs> <laughs> he says, I don't know what I'm doing with anything, but specifically with Drangate, Case and Mike, why don't you guys come and help me out here? And we you know, we give them the nine minute time slot in the middle of the card. We set them up to win. I still just I don't I don't think they would care. But that's that's just my take on it. I would I would love to know if people think differently because. I, I care about, obviously, the English-speaking audience expansion of Drangate, and right. I just don't – I don't know if this is the match to do it. I think this is one of those things that we are into, but the larger – I watch New Japan's big shows. I watch AEW. I'm into Game Changer. I like this culture. I don't think they'd be into this match, and I it's a shame because I loved it. Yeah. No, this was a special one. I was three and a half on this one. But I mean, yeah, like, again, right, right in our ballpark. If you listen to this show and you normally agree with Mike and I, this is the match for you. Yeah. It, it, if you're someone that likes to see the uh, Jackie Funky Kame, Ginky Horikuchi complete, uh, just the, the uh, completing school that, that Kame is doing in Natural Vibes, this is very much like, oh, this is almost like his end of a term paper showing how to be this tremendous undercard babyface and Jason being one of the top 10 wrestlers actively wrestling today. It was a great primer for the genius idea that you had last year of the Summer Adventure Technique League, which I think about constantly of just like, God damn, Mike was on that day. What a great idea that was. This is what I imagine blocks of nine wrestling matches like this for a month straight. That's really the the ideal vision of that. So, oh, we've already said that the... Uh, red circle pages for drink reviews however if we reach a certain a certain amount that lets us sponsor a tournament i am willing to fly to japan to put on the the, the summer adventure technique league brought to you by open the voice gate yeah if anybody we'll do it all in lapis hall it'll be all in lapis hall they don't even have to rent out big buildings we'll just get everyone a couple days before a tour and just get these get these shows out i mean we don't have to air them live you know this is evergreen content if you want to fund our wrestling show, the red circle donation button is going to be your best friend. I cannot recommend it enough. However, you do have to put up with some of my quirks and that I will try to find a way to get top dollar to have a match against oh, 
I don't know. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> you know. The bodyguard. Top dollar in the Dragon Gate locker room where everybody seems cool with each other. Everybody's pitching in. And Top dollar <laughs> comes in with his bullshit. Are you kidding me? I mean, take us back to Wrestle Jam, please. Can we do Top, top Dollar versus Don Fuji? That I would watch. God, to- Top Dollar versus Gamma? Come on. Oh, God. Oh, God. You, you, you see, all these scenarios don't have Top Dollar reaching, even sniffing <laughs> anything post intermission. I don't want to watch Gamma against a good wrestler. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's close out our digest portion of this week's show. The last match we had was from April 3rd. This was an eight man tag Natural Vibes versus Z Brats. This is from, I don't have the town name pulled up in front of me, but it's from. Oh, I, a oh. dog, I got you. Hold on, hold on. I had it just a second ago. It is Kanazawa. Kanazawa, the hometown of one hip hop Kakuta. We'll get into that after we're done talking about the match. But the Natural Vibe teams were KZ, Ginky Horiguchi, Big Boss Shimizu, JFK versus. BB Hulk, SB Kento, Diamante, and Shun Skywalker. And my, my my big like first take was, boy, the Sky Diamonds are cool as hell. How can't you love this tag team? I loved everything about this. Four stars for me. One of the best matches they've uploaded on YouTube. Yeah, no, go out of your way for us for as well. The way that like JFK was like working two on one as the underdog was really re- like like when I say like he he's been in fishing school. This is the kind of stuff that like shows like okay, you have grasped and you made your own this style of being the babyface in peril that Dragon Gate always loves having. And I just thought that everyone in this match was awesome. There was some Kame Diamante stuff in this match which we haven't seen a lot of. I don't know if it's intentional that these guys are not being put together, but in history, they've only shared the ring seven times with one another. This was the seventh time they've wrestled. And oh boy, is there a lot of Diamante Kame stuff that I'd like to see in the future because everything that Kame does well meshes with everything that Diamante does well. And I loved what they were doing, but this this you know this four piece of natural or of, of Z branch rather with Hulk Diamante SB Kento and Skywalker right up my alley. The Diamante Skywalker thing, I would love to know if their their goal when they put this unit together was to have them team, or if it's something that they've seen their chemistry together is just so strong that they're they're leaning into it. But between D Courage, between SB Kento and Hio. And now between Skywalker and Diamante, Drangate has all of these strong two, you know, traditional tag teams all of a sudden that I am I am over the moon about. And then you have Natural Vibes doing what they do, which is being one of the most consistently entertaining units in all of wrestling. Yeah, it just all plays off here and it goes back to like how Zebrats feel so comfortable two months in. Like we're, we're just now have are coming up on three months of Zebrats and everything feels right about them. It's, and, it's amazing. They're just a well-oiled machine. It's such a successful transition that, you know, you think about Blood Warriors to Mad Blanky, two beloved units, but that interim period when Mad Blanky was trying to figure themselves out, something that I don't know if they did, so they form in March of 2012. I don't know if they're a fully fleshed out vision until world of that year maybe even a little later where it's like i don't totally know what these guys are at least that's always been my impression of it whereas here you go go ahead oh go ahead 
I was gonna say no, no, I would please, say yeah. probably June or May when Mondai Ryu joined was when it really flushed out. Weirdly enough, Mondai Ryu being the, the linchpin <laughs> the, the, the of glue. ending. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, though. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, we talked about that. That was actually that was one of my favorite things that we covered on the timeline section of the Drangate USA shows we did was getting to the the summer and the fall of 2012 and going through the happenings in Japan and just going like, oh, this is the era when Mondai Ryu was a thing. Like he's all over these cards in massive angles with Shima and Tozawa and Shingo, etc., etc. Yeah, it it was something that was very unique for that time period. <laughs> That's a really nice way of saying it. It was unique. Um, it was unique. Yeah, but, but you know, it, 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 either way, even May or June. Okay, you're looking at a two or three month period where Mad Blanky doesn't fully feel fleshed out. And here with Zebrats, the the only sort of question mark that you could throw on this unit right now is the long term future of Kai. Just because, although he is the assigned leader it doesn't feel like a unit that's in his vision, which I don't necessarily think of a flaw, just given how good all of this is. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's amazing. They hit the ground running. They've crushed it in every single aspect. They've been, they've been asked to crush it in. And this was a four-star match for me. This was really, really good. And in a fun building too, this Kanazawa building was really small, really packed in low ceiling. And in a weird way, I felt like that added to the match. And it really was kind of put on display when we talk about the post-match, right? So, in the post-match, uh, beat, beating down Naturalized, and suddenly, uh, Hip Hop Kakuda makes his first appearance in almost in 11 months. He hops into the ring for a while. It looks like he's going to be teaming with his former RED teammates. Instead, he beats the crap out of uh, SB Kento with the, with the wide hips, and then he lands... What I think was a brutal hand of God. I almost deemed you were after I saw that saying like, wow, Hio took that right on the shoulders and that sucked. He <laughs> clocked him with the discus hilarious and he grabbed the microphone. Uh, this, of course, is his hometown. He said, you know, it's been a long period of time. I am coming back. I think a year to the day is very fitting. And he's tweeted all about this. He went dormant right as the injury happened. Now he's tweeting up a storm. And he's going to make his return in Aichi at Dead or Alive. So one year to the day from his massive injury in the Dreamgate match, he's going to return, and he wants to go from step one. He does not consider himself a member of Zebrats. He is unaffiliated going forward. Yeah, this was all a massive success to me. I thought Kakuta looked great from the actions that were taken, the hip attack, the hand of God Lariat, I thought he looked in shape, which is really good. I like the dark hair look on him more than I like the blonde hair. And his thumper is still intact. So all around, Kakuta's back in the fold. This is great. I mean, so much has changed. So much has happened since we last saw him when he went out with a whimper, unfortunately, that just that horribly awkward Dreamgate match with Skywalker that we lose sight of the fact that he was 21 challenging for the Dreamgate. That was the youngest Dreamgate match ever. And this was a guy who was on fire heading into that match. I mean, he was the the third head of the three-headed dragon that is SB Kento and Kamei. We've seen over the past year how SB Kento has continued to kill it in every aspect. Kamei has taken a step up to a degree that I didn't even expect. And by the way, 
I should mention in that eight-man tag, the finishing stretch is built around SB Kento versus Kamei. And if you love their matches in October and December, boy, do I have an eight-man tag for you in that match. But Kakuta's the third head of that three-headed dragon, and he's been gone for so long, so much chaos has unfolded over the last year that it might be easy to forget the immediate impact that he could have. But this is a guy who's going to come back at dead or alive, and assuming he stays healthy, I see no reason why he can't add more fuel to the chaos fire that is currently taking over Dragon Gate. Yeah, and it's something with him that, I mean, like, he has his age and the, the fact that it seems like that this was an injury that was reoccurring and he got it taken care of as well as one could. Coming back fresh, looking great. The fact that, I mean, of course, helps out you're in your hometown layering someone's head off, you know, but, like, the crowd was really responding to him and you know he adds something different to the roster and especially at his age and the fact that you know i mean he's taller than everyone else on the roster save i think kai and he just adds like a different element there and it'll be nice to see him on the face side because you get to see like him versus diamante and some others I, i'm i'm very excited for him to come back again he was great prior to that injury Let's hope he has that injury taken care of again. You know, this is one of those deals where he probably could have worked through it. I mean, that was what that was what Jay told us, I believe, on the air was, you know, this is something where he could have worked through it and kind of dealt with what Strong Machine Jay went through for a long time of just a nagging shoulder injury that is sometimes good, sometimes not. But he took the time off. He got it repaired. And hopefully that's the last we deal with Kakuta and his shoulder because his return was one that immediately felt impactful. And it's something, you know, ni- it's nice to get the injury list tidied up. You know, we had questions about him. And, you know, if you listen to the show, you you knew to anticipate that he came back and he came back almost exactly as we were kind of speculating. So who's who's MIA right now? We haven't seen Shoya Sato in a minute. We haven't Uh, seen Ricky. Ricky Hashi has been MIA. And I think that's everybody now. I think everybody else can be accounted for, which is a great feeling. Let's knock on wood and hope that continues. Yeah, especially going into the hot season and going into King of Gate, everyone being like this. I think it's just those two rookies at this point. I'm going to lock Shuji Kondo in his house for the next month and a half just so we can finally get him in King of Gate. Because, you know, (laughs) 2020 King of Gate was supposed to be like, oh, Kondo's because I think that I don't know if the deal was that he was going to be an outsider until Kobe World when they announced that he was uh, signing, you know, that Dragon Gate was going to be his primary home again. But he was booked for Cam's Gate 2020, which would have been sick. And then that didn't happen right. because he didn't work the empty arena shows, or at least I don't I don't think he did. I don't remember if he did. And then last year he tore his Achilles right before Cam's Gate, so that didn't happen either. So th- it's crazy to think that now, like 2020 Cam's Gate, it's like, oh my God, we got Condo and King of Eight. This is going to be nuts. In 2022, he almost doesn't fit the vibe, but I've been waiting for it for two years now. So I would really like to see him involved. Yeah, and I, I think that he's someone that, I mean, you could feel comfortable enough putting him in blocks of younger guys. And, you know, it, 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 he's going to get over and he'll help the, the smaller guys get over by proxy there. So I, I think, like, when we get closer to this, we should probably do a show where, we're like, we, we, we decide, okay, for 24, for 20, this is what we expect. And I think he makes both of our cut list there. It'll be neat, though. Like, it, it's wild because he was... If I'm remembering right, he was listed as an X when they were advertising it. Yes. L- l- like yeah, we, we never we never had his name officially announced because we never I don't think we got lineups because no, because COVID happened in March. But we we knew 
from a few different people actually that Kondo yeah. was going to be in King of Gate that year. Um, yeah, but no, he was, it was never officially about, announced. Yeah, he was talked about as as X, but yeah. it was pretty well known that that would be Shuji Kondo making his first appearance post uh, Wrestle One. So, rest in peace. <sighs> yeah, I mean it, it's resting. I mean we'll see. <laughs> I, 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 I did notice, and I'm not going to try to get uh, Sasaki's elbow pad mad at me. I did notice that there was, there's been like a glut of Russell Wallen was really the, 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 the sickest promotion of all time. And I'm just sitting here going, was it really? No, or is no. This- up until Shima showed up, Russell Wallen was the shit. It was the worst. I hated the existence of Russell Wallen so much. And then Shima showed up, and for six months, I was like, oh, this is the best promotion in Japan. Wrestle One kicks ass. But it was because <laughs> Shima was there, in my opinion, winning a Flair Fez Award as the only person to ever draw a dime for that company. But no, let's not let's not go into revisionist history and say that 2015, 2016, Wrestle One was good, because it was not. I was there, and it sucked. It was just bizarre. Like for the longest time, it was going to be remembered by me as, oh yeah, that Mudo company that ran Tokyo Dome City Hall from their first venue, and no one ever ran it since then. But since COVID, people run that place that needs to sell tickets. That's like true. That, yeah, that that's going to be the wild thing is everyone reacting to the fact that people aren't going to be running Budokan anymore or that often. All right, Mike, we've got one more thing to talk about. It's your favorite Dragon Gate match of all time, I believe, or Dragon System match rather. I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to clear the lane. You called one. You called ISO. Do your thing, man. All right. So I wanted to save this for last case. I thought felt like I was going to lead off our Kness retrospective series talking about this match. It is, as we mentioned up top, this is the Mascara Contra Mascara match from Absoluto Mente 2002. The biggest show in that era of Toramon, which was headlined by this match, and we've talked about Absolutamente before, Case, but I uh, this will be something for the listeners. This was not the first Absolutamente, and that is something worth mentioning because the first one, this kind of was the... Uh, I don't want to call it like one-to-one Danger Skate, but this basically was what Danger Skate was. Like, this was their big Tokyo area show. Like, they actually did the first cage match in there. That was the one that... It was Shima, Darkness Dragon, D- Dragon Kid, Misaki Mochizuki defeating Bagum Tokyo. Tokyo had to lose his hair there. But this one was called Toribon Japan T2P Absolutamente. It's from September 8, 2002. And we, we've, we've talked a little bit about the show before. We've reviewed during Yoshino's retirement tour, the UWA trios match between Italian Connection and Crazy Match. Crazy Match. That semi-main event ended this. The... Uh, the next match was the uh, Dancing Fools reuniting against other members of Italian Connection. Ultimo Dragon versus Misaki Mochizuki. It was headlined by this uh, mass versus mass match. Uh, it, I tweeted this out on the Open the Voice Gate account earlier. There's different versions of this match. The easiest one, though, to watch is the one that came out during the three-way generation war. It was Kinesis, the The match, I was young once, match was this match. And if you've and if you've watched it before and you have the Dragon Gate Network account, watch this version. Watch the version that's on the network. Don't watch the uh, the video file that's gone around for 15 years because this one actually is from the master, and you can see a lot more of Ariake Coliseum. Uh, trying to think of where to go to this before we get t- start talking about the match itself. Oh, the big difference between the uh, 
version that was here and the version that was on the other full versions of Absolutamente is you don't get the pre-match stuff, which might be a little bit confusing. This was a, a best out of threes falls match, like traditional Lucha Libre match. But what they did beforehand is they drew people to be the referees because this was T2P versus Torimon. So there was a Torimon six-sided ring with a referee from Mexico. I blank on their name. And then there was a Torimon referee and a Torimon four-sided ring. But there was also Yazushi Kanda, who was retired at this point and was a referee, but he was a heel referee for M2K. They did a drawing before the before the show. The way it worked was the first fall was supposed to be the Torimon 2000 referee. The second fall was supposed to be the Torimon Japan referee. And then the third fall, if needed, would be Yazushi Kanda. That all that all tracks. That is that is the setup for a match that, you know, I will briefly say my piece before I pass the ball back to you. If you've never seen this match, it feels every bit as big as a big sumo hall or Budokan Hall main event, every bit as big as a a Shima or a Shingo or Mochizuki Dreamgate match. This is on the essential dragon system playlist. It might be number one with a bullet. And if not, if not this match, the semi main event, that crazy max Italian connection match, which I've always said, I actually like more than this, but this is as big as it gets. Mike just painted a beautiful picture of how we got here. Mike, your thoughts on the match. Well, it's still my favorite match in dragon system. history. <laughs> I actually had that thought because like, we how how much how many times have you seen this match or your favorite match in Dragon System's history? How much have you seen uh, the uh, Good Destiny twenty fifteen match? Mm, pr- probably at this point four or five times, and I've probably seen this match three or four. This was definitely not my first rodeo with it. Yeah, like I this is probably this was probably like the sixth time. I watched this match, and one of the reasons why I wanted to hold off other than this was the biggest match we should talk about closer to his retirement was I saw this match early last year, so I wanted a little bit more distance with it, and I find new things each time I watch this match, and I think that that's really kind of the thing that like draws me to it, and for me in this match, so running down how this match works, just for people that will watch this match, like why are there was a double count out? Why is this match still going? They've basically ruled that since it was a double count out, the next fall would be the finish. And six minutes in, as it's M2K, there was a double count out. That meant that the Torimon 2000 referee did their job. That meant there was a Torimon referee, and they said that this would be one more fall. Of course, uh, M2K argued about this, saying, hey, we had a double count out. This match did not happen anymore. However, Yazushi Kanda, who they cut to during this thing, was elated because he realized that it was going to be one fall to the finish and he could not be chosen as a referee. Little did we know we would have a lot of referee shenanigans there. Yazushi Kanda is like glee and realizing that he wouldn't have to referee this match. He was falling out of M2K at this time and Magnum was uh, bullying him around. He was glad not to be involved, but sadly, you know, uh, some people have to make stands and on... September 8th, 2002, Yazushi Kanda made a stand for what is right. Yeah, the Kanda stuff I had actually largely forgotten about because I think of this match as a mask-ripping, bloody classic. And just because it had been a few years since I had seen it, I was like, oh, that's right. This is like a match within a match in the way that the referees play such a giant factor in this. And Kanda 
turning face in the match, refusing to just give M2K and Darkness Dragon the win, might actually be the most compelling part of this match. Not that it's any dig on Dragon and Darkness Dragon, but Konda, this is his apex mountain to steal a phrase from Bill Simmons. This is Konda at his absolute peak, him doing everything in his power to give this match just a different sort of emotional layer. Yeah, and that was the thing that stuck out to me this time, was Konda just like adding something to it. So for those who don't know, I write the exact year. I think it was actually earlier in 2002. Yazushi Konda suffered a cervical dislocation. And if those two words sound scary together, they should. One of his uh, vertebra moved two centimeters, and he retired for four years. And part of the time when he was retired, he worked as a referee. Part of the time he was the GM, and part of the time he was just an office worker. But this was during the time before he had like his he had like an official retirement against Stalker Chikawa a few weeks later. But he basically at this point, everyone kind of knew he was not wrestling anymore. And yeah, he, he, was, he gets hurt October of 2001. And then that Stalker match is actually pretty much a year later. That Stalker match happens about a month after this, believe it or right. not. Yeah, because like he is sealed before like M2K becomes Sue Fixer. Yes. So, yeah, he gets his big face turn, and he would be a referee still after that, but he'd mostly be he'd be doing a lot of things over the next few years. But he is the the emotional kind of crux here, like the fact that for like Konda, who uh, we talked about this with Jay, but the, the thing is that Susumu and Konda were the M2K tag team up until the injury, and then became then became Nesca after that so like there was a lot of like kind of like compelling emotions especially when it was susumu who attacked konda during the breakdown and when konda finally said like screw all these guys i'm hitting everyone with the box even you kness in the closing stretch like it it was a big emotional moment i feel like for this and and that doesn't even get into the match work there no, and to to add on to that point, I made a specific point because I knew this was your ballpark and I knew you were going to be able to to carry this this conversation in such a terrific way, which you have, that I, I made a point of not going back and rewatching the TV from June and July and August to prep for this match. I just went in blind and remembered stuff along the way, but this is one of those matches where there's a lot going on. And as long as you have that referee explanation, which Mike did such a, a great job of explaining, this is a match that's going to suck you in, whether you know who Konda is as a referee or a wrestler or not, whether you know Darkness Dragon and Dragon Kid and their backstories. This is a pretty simple match because they tell the story as well as they do. Yeah, and it's something that, like, when you, like, like as a first time viewer you the, the if you watch the file i clicked up it starts you right in the ring you have the guy in all black and the guy in all white it's very easy to pick who is good who is bad here the the guy in white gets his mask pretty much torn off in the first three minutes and then starts bleeding from one of the biggest rube rube goldberg things of having a bell a door or not a door sorry a chair and then a baseball slide that just pops a gusher that turns the front of dragon kids mask red like that was the thing also about watching this version versus the files have been around for 20 years you you don't get an appreciation of how much uh, dragon kid bleeds in this match without watching the new version of it and bleeds early like i forgot just how quickly his mask gets ripped and he gets cut it's not a slow build to that spot at all it's pretty immediate 
Yeah, because like the, the overall story about this is that M2K is going to ruin this match. They the, the first six minutes, like there is like brief moments of Dragon Kid on offense, but if you ever like were trying to get like Darkness Dragon and why for someone like Jay, Jay views him as favorite wrestlers all the time, why even though he's not necessarily been a he's been active probably a combined eighteen months in the last decade, you watch the first six minutes and you see Kanesu is like the the just the encyclopedia definition of ruthless aggression, like pinpoint ruthless aggression for this first six minutes, you get the double count out and then kid starts getting it together. He does his bulldog through the table, which, which he takes all the table and Kness takes enough just to tear out his mask. And then you have all the M2K shenanigans, which finally lead with Conda turning on M2K. Like it's a very simple match, but I think it's, a, it's a, such a tour de force performance considering like, biggest show in the company's history it is the biggest sh- it's it's a match that when kness chose this match i'm going to try to pull up this exact tweet he acknowledges that when he was much lo- younger and better health this was like the most important match of his career and then we look at dragon kid like dragon kid in 20 and 1999 could not have this match it shows the growth that dragon kid did that he was able to like have this be his mountaintop and have this be like it's a sad thing that the version on the network doesn't have the cut to like holding out for a hero and ultimo coming out afterwards <laughs> but you know like this this was like the match like we talk about how ginky horiguchi was made in king of Ga- or sorry el numero uno 2003 both these guys legacy was defined by this match like to the extent that the crowd will go nuts whenever we see these two guys in the ring i mean they're gonna probably lose it on the seventh when these two guys get in the ring one last time. And that's a good way to close out as we're recording this right before the Kness retirement show on April 7th, which will have English commentary live on the Drangate network. I will have a written review for that over at voicesofwrestling.com. And next week we'll obviously break down that show in full. I expect it to be a very emotional show. I, I am looking forward to it. Obviously we don't know the card besides the main event, which drives me nuts, but I'll get past it. But if you've, if you're not familiar with the history of Kness, we've thrown a lot of matches at you over the past month and a half or so, and I, I'm very happy with that Kness coverage that we've done, obviously, especially with the Jay episode. But if there was one match where you go, this guy's retiring, people seem to care, why should I care? This match is the match to watch. Yeah, it, it's something that it's just like the encapsulation of the era, like like you hit it on the nail on the head when you talk about like a comp CD, like you, you'd want to have the first three away match there, but you would want to have like all the buildup leading to this match. Like this is something that went on for two years leading up to this. And other than like the T2P versus Torimon stuff, like this was like the encapsulation of like the big storyline there. And it was in a lot of the ways the, an era ended at least for early Torimon when this happened because Soon after, Toriumon 2000 was folded into to, to Toriumon. We had 2003, and then, you know, then it was, like, the full runway to Dragon Gate. This was, with the exception of, like, few certain things, the biggest match that happened in the first five years of the Dragon System. Absolutely. It, it is any, any version of Dragon System history you want to look at, anybody's opinion that you care about would have this as one of the most must watch matches from 1999 through where we stand in April of 2022. So if you have not seen it and you have made it this far in this podcast, do yourself a favor, go to the Dragon Gate network, give this match a watch. 
Absolutely. Well, Case, uh, do you have anything else you want to hit on this week? I can't imagine I have anything more to say tonight. I think I am good. Yeah, well, that's going to do it for this week. As Case mentioned, we'll be back next week talking about the Kinesk retirement show and the lead up into that. They have a really interesting April schedule. We have a uh, doubleheader in Hakata coming up after that, Kobe, of course, and then the second Cork, and where custody of just of Jason Lee will finally be determined at the end of this month. I'm a, I usually April is hurry up, get to dead or alive for me, but there's a lot of stuff going on this month in Dragon Gate. Keep me enthused. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. Hopefully we don't get bogged down with too many Road to Dead or Alive tag matches. That is one of my few pet peeves in this promotion. But we have no cage match booked right now. So we'll see if that changes by this time next week. But it should be a very enjoyable April. Absolutely. So the best way to follow the show, you follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. Probably we'll try to pull out a couple more scans from my collection before Kness retires. So be sure to give that a follow. Uh, you do. can follow... You can follow Case at underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back to you next week talking about the retirement of Kness. Take care.